Let's pray. Father, we do uh, thank you once again for the opportunity that we have, God, just to study your word. And I pray that today as we, as we look through this, as we, we look at a couple guys here and, and watch their lives and watch them function with you, that, Lord, it would encourage us. It would strengthen us. It would bring us to that place where, Lord, we wouldn't just sing a song that, said there's, that says there's nothing our God can't do, but we would not just even say that, but we would walk that and we would believe that. So, Lord, again, have your way with us today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I wanna, I wanna again kind of bring our focus back to the author of Hebrews is writing to some, a group of Christians who they're just struggling. They're having a hard time walking with the Lord and doing life. And they're people who came out of Judaism and they're, they're stuck in a place and because they've left Judaism, their families have abandoned them, their, their community has abandoned them and they're just struggling, they're having a tough time. So he's writing to encourage them and we've gone you know, a long way with him and then we're kind of quote stalled here in this chapter on faith. But here's the thing, he wrote this chapter to let them know that hey, God works through these people, and if God works through those people, guess what? He can work in you. You know, I, I, I like to think about it, and I think it's important that we understand that faith can operate in anybody's life who's willing to trust God. You don't have to be some superhero, some super saint, some, all you have to do is trust God, and that's what I believe the author of Hebrews is trying to push into that group of believers and to this group of believers here today. He's wanting us to understand that. He's wanting us to walk in that. And, you know, that's my prayer for all of us, that we would, we would go out those doors energized in our faith and ready to let the world know we have a great God. Our world's kind of messed up, but so is their world. And so is the world we're gonna look at as we, we get into this. Listen, the world's always been kinda messed up. And as believers, we need to understand something. The world's not gonna have our worldview, hopefully, right? If you've got that worldview, you need to change your worldview. That's what I mean. You need to have that Christian worldview. So look at verse 32, and it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail for me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also, Dave, and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. So listen, man, he like goes through like, he, you know, we went kind of slow as we looked at Abel and, and then, uh, you know, Abraham and then Moses and, and we're just kind of like plodding through Noah, going through those guys. And then here in a couple verses, like he goes through generations and he speeds up. Now he does list six people. And it's sort of interesting to me that list that he does and he says, we don't have time and I'm gonna stop and take a little time. I wanna walk through these, at least these six. You know, I even thought about prophets and we could do a, you know, a whole study through the prophets and, cause some of you don't come out and some of you are, are like, man, I haven't read my Old Testament in a long time, but I'm not gonna do that. 
And I was going to do all six, one at a time, and then I thought, man, we will be here for a while. That's six more weeks. So we're going to take them in pairs, and we're going to kind of look at them and, and go through. And, and uh, so, you know, I was sharing with Pastor Rob yesterday afternoon. This is kind of hard for me when I jump and I do stuff and I'm jumping. It's kind of hard. I'm really, listen, I'm a guy, I'm really stuck to going verse by verse and working through things. And when I have to jump, I'm getting out of my comfort zone. Just so you guys know, I'm like taking a step of faith and doing something that I'm not real comfortable in. And so if you're teaching on faith, I guess you need to exercise some faith and do those things. So hopefully, hopefully it'll make sense to you. Even in my mind, even after last night, my mind's going, because that's not, listen, I've been doing this for almost 30 years, and it's just not comfortable for me. So as we think through that, listen, today we're going to look at Gideon and Barak. Now, they're listed Gideon and Barak, but we're going to reverse them, and we're going to do Barak first because he comes chronologically first. So flip over Judges chapter 4, and we'll spend the rest of our time there, and I'll kind of get us caught up because... Uh, of what's gone on. Remember, Joshua came in, conquered the land, laid it all out, and they sort of conquered the land, right? If you read Joshua, they sort of did it. They kind of, you know, kind of trusted God. And I, I believe that's how a lot of us walk. And then they got into some trouble, and, and things started going south. They started following other gods, so God brought the Midianites in, and they kind of overwhelmed them. And it's interesting, these Midianites kind of keep coming in and out, but they came, and then God raised up Ehud, right? And Ehud delivered them, and, and uh, took care of the Midianites, drove them out, and then Shamgar kind of took over, did some more stuff, and then they started faltering again. And here's the thing, as we read through this and as we think about this, here's the thing, in Judges, Israel keeps going back to worshiping other gods. And then they cry out to God. Now something we need to realize, they're not crying out to God for God to do a great spiritual work in their lives. They're crying out to God to help them physically and take care of what's going on. That's always a bummer for me. And so they experience what we might call religious reformation, but they don't experience a real revival. Real revival changes individuals and changes hearts. So now in chapter four, in the beginning of chapter four, it says, uh, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of uh, Canaan, who reigned, uh, who reigned in Hazar, and the commander of his army, Sisera, who dwelt in that place. I'd like to do that. It's funny how we read those names and they're like hard to read. And then it's like, here's what I found out. It doesn't mean any more to me trying to say those names than to just say that place. So listen, the place in the Middle East. So here's what's going on. Now listen, now they're being attacked again and, and it's a little bit overwhelming. Now here's, there's a major distinct in, distinction in chapter four that sort of blows my mind. Remember, I was going to say Gideon, but the author of Hebrews mentioned Barak as a man of faith. But chapter 4 doesn't open up with him, does it? Chapter 4 opens up. Look at verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Libidoth, who was judging Israel at that time. Does that sort of blow your mind? Come on. 
one, that's a little bit weird, right? I mean, if we, you know, biblically thinking, you read through judges, every judge that we read about is a male judge, and they're like, and this is kind of in the beginning, too, like third one, and, and here's this lady, Deborah, and it tells us she was a prophetess, which I think biblically, sound, that's good, that's fine. She's a spokesman for God, and then it says God had her judging Israel. Now, I'm not gonna do chapter five, because chapter five is kind of a commentary on chapter four. Chapter five is Deborah's song, I always kinda like that. Deborah stopped and wrote a song about chapter four, right? And so, chapter five is kind of a song about chapter four, but in chapter five, she kinda brings up that, and, and here's, this is my interpretation, she kinda brings up that she felt like she was a mother for Israel. And I kinda look at it this way, they were acting like a bunch of kids, so God said, you know what, I'm gonna send you a mom. Because if you wanna get things done, right? You wanna get things done, who shows up? Mom. Mom gets things done. So I kinda look at it that way. I could be wrong, but here's this prophetess speaking for God, and it says she's judging Israel, but look at this distinction, and I think this is important. Look at verse five. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and, and uh, Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. It doesn't seem like she's the same as every other judge. And a couple things that I'm gonna bring up. Number one, every other judge that you read about in the book of Judges goes to war. Every other judge conquers the enemy and takes care of the enemy and then continues judging. Deborah doesn't seem to do that. Number one, the interesting thing is people came to her. She didn't go to them. And I kind of even like the idea. She was hanging out, and, and you know, I could be a little bit wrong, but I think she's hanging out at the house, and people are coming to her because she's got wisdom to share. And I think that's important for us to understand. Here's this lady who's got wisdom to share for the people and wisdom in their situations. And so they're coming to her and she's giving them that wisdom. And she's, again, as I said, hanging out. It looks like she's hanging out at her house. It says she's there by the palm tree of Deborah. I think if you've got a palm tree named after you, that's home, right? So she's, she's hanging out there and she's doing what God has put in front of her. I like that. Now, I do have to say this, and I'm not gonna get into a bunch of detail. Do not go to Judges chapter four and say, Deborah was doing this, therefore, in 2021 or even the 20th century or whatever, women can be leaders in the church. It's not what this is teaching. And I'm not gonna get into that whole thing and, and deal with that. You can get our, our teachings on, on 1 Timothy. You can look at that because 1 Timothy is very clear. This is really obscure. And one more thing I wanna add. What's the whole context of Judges? Because I think this is important. What's the whole context? People were doing what was right in their own eyes. So don't draw conclusions. This is a unique situation, a unique working of God, and no doubt he used this in a great way, but let's don't draw conclusions and get off on a rabbit trail like we just went. So everybody come back, right? We got Deborah, she's there, and I, I love this whole scene. She's there, and in verse six says, then she sent and called for Barak, 
the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy the troops at Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver, them, I will deliver him into your hand. Now, did you read, I mean, Listen, let's, let's pretend we're Barak and we go, Deborah says, hey, come here. I got something you're supposed to do. Now, you like the first part, right? I want you to command the Lord's army. I want you to take 10,000 men. I want you to go to battle. But then did you hear the second part? Here's what God said. And I will deploy chariots and an army against you. I didn't sign up for that part. Right? I mean, do, do you kind of hear that? And I'm thinking, listen, I'm thinking that would be a little bit frightening, I think, for anybody. I am going to do this. And then God does say, you know, towards the end, oh, by the way, they won't succeed. It's easy for you to say you're in heaven. I'm here, right? I mean, that's, that's like, okay. Now, we need to understand something. 10,000 guys, someone's buying, oh, you know what, by the way, just since you interrupted me, I just want you to know that if your phone goes off, that don't turn around and look at people. If your phone goes off, if your phone goes off, you have to buy your whole row coffee. So just whoever that was, now those of you in that row are pointing to them. Don't do that either. But anyway, so back to this. Listen, back to this as we think about, you've got 10,000 guys. You think you're going to do fine. You know, 10,000, that's, that's a good kind of army, right? Bunch of troops. But then God says this, I'm going to deploy this guy against you, Sisera. Oh, and by the way, he's got, he's got tanks, right? He's got chariots, and he's coming hard. Oh, chariots. I don't think it's good to have infantry come against tanks. We could put it in today's vernacular, right? You don't want a bunch of infantry guys marching up. I'm going to take out these tanks. I think the tanks are going to win, just saying. So he's got, that's the information he gets. And I think he's, you know, and God says, don't worry, I got it. Well, I don't know if you got it. So here's what I love. Look at verse eight. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I love this, man. Listen, man, this guy's going, I ain't going without you. Now, there's a whole bunch of opinions on what's going on here. One of the commentators I read that, I didn't agree with him on this part, and he kind of does his commentating, and he says, my friends, let me tell you. And he said, he said, what a sissy. And so he's calling Barak a sissy. Now, I, you know, sometimes I, I don't do stuff like that because I think Barak's gonna be in heaven, and I don't want him kicking me when I get to heaven, right? So I'm not gonna, I think, I think I'm gonna get kicked enough. I do enough stuff. Like somebody told me, you know, last week I said the two spies were with the hooker and why were they with the hooker? And someone said, they're gonna get you when you get to heaven because they were totally innocent. And I said, well, maybe so. But listen, I'm not gonna call this guy a sissy. Why did he ask her to go? Was it because he was a sissy? Or how about this? I need God's guidance if I'm going to go into that battle and I'm going to go against those guys and you are a spokesman for God. How about you come along? How about that? Now, 
it was. Obviously, it wasn't the greatest decision because look, look at what happens after he says that, verse 9. She said, I will surely go with you. I kind of like that, right? Like she doesn't even hesitate. Sometimes I think we should be looking at her faith and not Barak's faith, right? Because this lady had some faith. There's no doubt about it. But then it says this, listen, I will go with you. Nevertheless, there shall be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will send Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So listen, man, and then the rest of the story, we're not gonna read everything and, and the rest of the story, right? They go down there, they get on Mount Tabor, and here's what I love about that scene. They're on this mountain, and he looks out there. Now, now listen, they're in that valley, that Megiddo Valley and the Valley of Jezreel. A lot of us have seen when we go to Israel, you're up high, and when you look at that, listen, man, Every time I go there and I see that valley, here's what I think, and this is kind of gross, but here's what I think. What a great place for a war. I mean, it's a perfect place to gather people and stuff, and if you know your Bible, that's where the final war takes place. But he's up there, and he's looking down in that valley, and here's what he sees, 900, I was going to say 900 tanks, 900 chariots. And he's looking down there, and I think Barak's going, oh, man. But here's what I love. God says, go. And what does he do? He doesn't hesitate then. He goes down that mountain, wins the battle, and then, you know, God brings, God does help out. Have you ever noticed when you finally take that step of faith, what God will do for you? God sends a rain, and what happens, man? Iron chariots do not do good in rainstorms or mud. And they bogged down, they got into some trouble, and again, all that's inferred from chapter five, what Deborah says. But then, listen, man, then Sisera takes off, takes off running. Most of us know that story, right? He's hoofing it out of there. Barak's chasing him, because he, he wants to get him, man. And that guy runs, and he goes to the tent of a Kenite. Remember who the Kenites are? Those of you who read your Bible, the Kenites, that's Moses' in-laws. Right, So they're part of it, but it's weird. They had made some deals with, with uh, the Canaanites too. They were kind of, they played both sides. But the Kenites there, and so Sisera thinks he's safe. He runs to the tent of Jael, and he says, hey man, can you hide me? And she goes, no problem, man, come on in here and lie down. <laughs> and he goes, but I'm really thirsty. And she goes, you know, you don't need water, drink a little milk, warm milk. He fell asleep, and what did she do? <laughs> Drove a tent peg through his temple. Every time I read that, I think, that is one mean lady. <laughs> and, you know, the whole idea is Barak didn't get the, the glory, and really neither did she. God gets the glory. Now, here's something I read that I found interesting. In the Bedouin culture, and I, I believe it's still the same today, the women set up tents. Some of you go, they don't live in tents. Yes, they do. They still live in tents. You go to Israel and you'll see their tents. The women set up the tents. That's kind of interesting, huh? And because I've always, when I read that, I always wondered, why would this lady have like a hammer and a tent peg handy? It's not like, you know, it's not like all you ladies and you pull out your drawer, you know, in your kitchen and you got a hammer and a tent peg. Why did she have it handy? Because that's what she did. And she was good at it. Listen, I think if you weren't good at that, it'd be kind of hard to accomplish that. So anyway, they die Peace comes, and it's kind of like nice, 20 years, going along, and the people, right, they get rejuvenated. And so, Barak, man of faith, yeah. Did he have a weakness? Absolutely. You know what I love about even the whole hall of faith, but especially these six, is they all got something going on. 
Right, they all got a little bit, Barak wants to hesitate, Gideon has the whole thing of, oh, I'm not worthy, I can't do this, I, I need more evidence. Uh, you know, uh, Samson, well, we know Samson, right? He's got the whole Delilah issue going on. And then you have Japheth makes the crazy vow, David has Bathsheba, Samuel's got the two boys. Listen, they all have something going on, and here's what we need to realize, they're not perfect people. When sometimes we read our Bible, we think God only works through perfect people. No, he works through, listen carefully, available people. And Barak happened to be available, and so he does that now. Skip over to chapter 6, and we'll look at the next guy. We're going to look at Gideon, and uh, I'm sorry. And we're going to look at him for a while. So listen, but look at verse 1 of chapter 6, and it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So now listen, these guys are in the hand of Gideon for seven years. Or I'm sorry, Midian for seven years. And they're struggling again. And they cry out to the Lord. Now, here's what's going on from there to where we're going to read in verse 9. Here's what's going on. The Midianites didn't so much come in and wreak havoc physically and wreak war. Here's what they did. They took their crops. They took their livestock. In other words, they, they, they oppressed them financially. And it was huge. And it was hard. And so they're crying out to the Lord. Now, here's what I like. Look at verse 8. And, and uh, I'm sorry, verse seven, and it says, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet. Oh, don't you find that kind of fascinating? He didn't send a judge right away. This time God sends a prophet. It's almost like God says, guys, pay attention. Think about it. And I believe you and I, I believe we need that in our lives. That's why we encourage you to read through the Bible every year. It's because you're going to read stuff and you go, oh, man, I needed that. That's just what I needed to hear. So the prophet comes. Listen, the prophet comes, and here's what he says. God sent a prophet to Israel who said to them, in the middle of verse 8, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now listen what he says. I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. Do you hear what God says? Look what I've done for you. Remember what I have done in the past, and you can trust me for the future. Here's what I've done. I've done all of that, and they knew that. A lot of them are the ones who came in and took the land. And then God says this in verse 10. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. I wonder if we should tape that to our mirror when we get up in the morning and we're starting our day. I wonder if we should remember Wait, I haven't obeyed God. Why, you know, and, and do, you, do you guys ever do this in your life? Do you ever like go through your life and go, why is this happening to me? None of you do that? I'm a whiner. Why is this happening to me? And God like, because you have not obeyed my voice. Hmm. Hmm. Now listen, sometimes he's pushing us along and doing stuff. But generally, generally, it's that. And so I, I hear that and I think, 
Why aren't they paying attention? And then in verse 11, it says an angel of the Lord showed up at a certain place and showed up to this Gideon guy. Verse 12 says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now before you read on, think about what's going on because Gideon's in that time where they're being oppressed and all their stuff's getting ripped off. So by then, by the time this has taken place, they, usually when you do grain, you winnow grain, like we all know what that's all about, right? Like most of us don't even have a clue. You're going, I don't even know what grain is. But listen, when they did it, when they did it, just a little bit, you would get kind of up on, a, on the top of a mountain and you would throw it up so the breeze would take away all of the waste, the chaff, and blow it away, and the good grain would fall down. Gideon's doing it in a cave in a wine press. That's like no, no bueno. Like he's not doing good at all. And he's throwing stuff up and he's falling back on his head. And he's scared out of his mind. He's afraid of the Midianites. And God shows up. I love this. God shows up because this angel's God. This is a theophany at least. And I believe it's a Christophany. God shows up, the angel of the Lord. And he says, hey, mighty man of valor, Gideon does this. Who's he talking to? Right? Gideon knows better. And he says, hey, mighty man of valor, now listen. And Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, I love that. Listen, we could just stop there, right? Oh, my Lord, right, if God said that to you. And then, listen, he says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Oh. It's always interesting to me when God does reveal real people in the Bible because this is something real people would say. Here's what the prophet said. Did I not bring you out of Egypt? Did I not bring you out of bondage? Did I not bring you into this land? Did I not deliver you? And here's what real people would say. Then why is this happening to me? Gotta love Gideon, right? Oh, mighty man of valor. Why is this happening to me? And, and listen then, he says, why, why, why is this happening to us, he says. And in the middle of verse 13, where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So here's what he's saying. He's just going, ah, that didn't work. You know, I know all that stuff, but right now, and isn't it true in our lives? Right now, this is not working out in my life, God. Where are you? And I believe God would tell us, I'm where I've always been. Where are you? Right? And so, why is Israel going through what they're going through during Gideon's time? Because they were disobedient to God. Because they took up other gods, because they wanted to worship other gods. They wanted to worship the God of Baal, and we're gonna find out. Listen, God does not share us with anybody. He's not into that. And so, they're disobeying God, and then they're wondering why this is happening. So the angel of the Lord, I kind of love this. And, and here's what I like. I believe this is God showing up. And notice God doesn't just slap him upside the head. Like, are you stupid? Why do you think this is going on? I just told you back a couple verses ago. I sent a prophet to let you know why this is going on. But man, God is so patient. Listen, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours again. He's saying, hey man, I just want you to go. You're strong. You're good, right? And you shall say, and you shall save Israel from the hand of Midianites. Have I not sent you? Oh, no. 
And Gideon says to him, verse 6 and 15, oh, my Lord, don't you love the way twice he's going, oh, my Lord. Right? He's going, oh, my Lord. How can I save Israel? You know what I love about this? I love the fact that Gideon knows that Gideon can't do this. I think that's one of the biggest keys to being used by God. You gotta come to the place where you know you can't do it. And then God says, that's exactly who I work with. I work with those kind. Hey, if you step into ministry and you think you got it together and you can do it and you can pull it off, then you know more than likely God's gonna let you. It's, it's gonna get ugly, it's gonna look ugly. But man, if you go into serving him and you go, God, I can't do, there's no way I can do this. He goes, oh good. Because now I'm gonna show you what I can do. And I love that. Listen, man, I love right now, some people say, you know, Gideon's calling God a liar and Gideon's, you know, arguing with God and pushing back. No, I think he's just being honest. He's going, look at, he goes, me, really? Listen, and listen in the middle of the verse. He says, indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. Do you really know who you're talking to, right? And the Lord said to him, I love this. I love this. Again, God doesn't just, number one, doesn't just walk away. He said, fine. Doesn't slap him, doesn't do stuff. The Lord again, hey, dude, I got this, right? He says, surely in verse 16, I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Wow. Gotta love that. And then Gideon, they have this conversation. I love this. Gideon says, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. And, and here's the thing. Gideon, Gideon's a guy, and the one, the one fault I see with him besides just, you know, I can't do this, is he always wants a sign. Gideon wants to walk by sight and not by faith. And a lot of us are that way. Just show me, God. And I found in my life, he doesn't always show me. He just goes, come on, just take a step. So Gideon says, show me. Now, we're not gonna read the rest. Now, he comes to God, he says, give me a sign. Gideon sets up a time. He's gonna worship God, and he's gonna bring an offering. And he's gonna bring an offering of a, of a bull. Now, think about this. I want us to think about something. He brings a meat offering. Do you know what meat was at that time in Israel? Meat was gold. Think about what he's bringing to God. Meat was gold. You didn't have meat. They were taking your flocks. You didn't have extra. You didn't have that stuff. And he does it. You got to admire that about him, right? And he brings it to God and he says, hey, if you're really God, then you, I'll bring, and I love this. Here's what he says. I'll bring the offering, you bring the fire. You know, that might be good for some of us to tell God, hey, God, I'll bring the offering. I'm going to be the offering. You bring the fire. And God will fire you up. Right, don't you love it? Don't you love it? And so God burns us up and fires it up and, and, and Gideon's going, wow, I guess I really did talk to the Lord and this is pretty amazing. Now here's what I love, that changed him. And what did Gideon do? Then Gideon turned, if you read the rest of this chapter, he turned, his father had an altar to Baal that he was worshiping at and the Lord says, get rid of that altar. And Gideon goes and does it. Hey, you gotta admire this guy. He goes and tears down that altar. And then what happens? All the people in the town, they wanna kill him, right? We're gonna kill Gideon. And they're telling his dad, bring out that son of yours, man. We're gonna kill him. And his dad says, no, you don't wanna kill him. And then I love it. This is my paraphrase. 
Gideon's dad tells him this. Hey, if our God can't protect himself, what kind of God is he? He goes, think about if my son can take our God away from us, then you know what? We got a wrong God. We got to get the right God. And then they renamed Gideon at that time, Jeroboam, which means against Baal or fights Baal or whatever. But listen, man, all of that went down. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think that would be enough in my life to go, yes, there is a God. Now, that's kind of a sidetrack because now we get back on track and God says, Gideon, uh-huh. remember you're gonna go fight the Midianites. And now all of a sudden he gets scared again. I mean, this guy cracks me up. All of that goes on, he gets scared again. So Gideon, verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor and if there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry ground all around, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. Oftentimes in the church, we call that laying out a fleece, right? And some of us use that to sound spiritual. Well, I'm gonna lay out a fleece. I don't think doing a fleece is all that spiritual. Listen, I understand confirmation. I understand wanting confirmation. But generally speaking, not always generally, when we're doing a fleece, we don't wanna do what God has shown us to do, so we do a fleece so we don't have to do it, and we usually do some weird, obscure fleece. Here, Gideon says, you know what, here's what I want you to do, man, I'm gonna put a fleece on the ground, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that there's dew on the fleece only, and all the ground's dry. Can you handle that, God? And God says, not a problem, and he does it. And then Gideon says, well, that was kinda easy. So here's what I really want you to do. And isn't that what some of us do? Come on, people. Isn't that what some of us do? We lay out a fleece and God gives it to us. We go, well, anybody could have done that. So how about this one, God? And he reverses it and God does it. Now, again, I think, and this is opinion. It's a little bit of Bible, a little bit of opinion. I don't think this is a good way to discern guidance from God. I think you're saying, I want to walk by sight, not by faith. And, you know, but here's the thing. I also have to look at this, and God didn't condemn Gideon for doing it, right? God met him there. And here's what I know, man. God is gracious, and he will meet us in our weakness. And even at times when we're being, you know, stubborn and stiff-necked and stuff, God says, okay, man, if that's what it's going to take, I'm there. And so I kind of I like that part. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the greatest way to find things out, but, you know, I... I my personal opinion is be guided by God's word. Because sometimes people will tell me this, you know, I know I'm married, but we're having a hard time, so I put a fleece out. Why don't you read your Bible? Do you know what I'm saying? Hey, you don't need a fleece to tell you that you know, cheating on your husband or cheating on your wife is an okay thing to do. You don't need a fleece to tell you those kind of things. What you need is to believe the word of God and stand on it and get guidance. I think our greatest guidance comes from God's word. And then I think it's good to have people around and to put things off. And then if you're still, listen, if you're still like, you know, should I really do this? Then I believe you should take a step of faith. You're never gonna be sure. So Gideon's here, do this, no, now do this, and God did it. Now, I believe one reason God met him there, look at the next chapter. 
This is insane. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of, of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you, Man, they are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands and, and uh, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand saved me. So here's what God says. You got too many. Now, you need to understand something. There was 135,000 Midianites. There was 32,000 Israelites. That's four to one odds. That's pretty big odds, right? And here's what God says. You got too many. I didn't think we had enough. No, you got too many. And then he tells them this interesting thing. He says, now, listen, tell everybody who's afraid to go home. And I kind of like that, right? I mean, hey, you don't want to go to war with afraid people. And even in Deuteronomy, hey, in Deuteronomy 28, God had already told Israel that. When you go to battle, if someone's afraid, send them home. So here's what he says. Now, I'm thinking, I'm thinking when God says, find out the ones who are afraid and send them home. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Gideon goes, okay, there's going to be like four. So he goes, if you're scared, go home. 22,000 guys walk off. It's like, oh. Again, I think we read this. Most of us go, Pat, I've read the end. It's okay. They haven't. Gideon hasn't. Now do you know maybe why he needed the fleece? Do you know why maybe he needed God to bring the fire? Listen, man, he's about to walk into something that most of these guys never walk into. And so now he's down to 10,000. That's 14 to one odds. Now that's huge. And he's all ready to go. I can kind of get, okay, I think we can handle this. It's scary, but I think we can do it. And God says, no, you still have too many. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to have them go drink water. Now this one is my favorite. Have them go drink water and I will tell you who's on your side and who's not. And then they do the whole thing of drinking water. They explain it. It's kind of explained in detail. And it always cracks me up because commentators, most of them say, well, you know, the men who drank water and pulled it up with their hand and put it in their mouth, they were the ones who were paying attention and that's why God chose them. I think it's almost just the opposite. But I think it's more this. All they did is what they did naturally. Listen, everyone who went down and drank water, drank water like they drink water every day. And God used that natural thing in their life to distinguish them between who was going and who wasn't. In other words, let me put it this way. There's a lot of everyday things you do that God pays attention to. And God knows, and you do them every day, but he knows that's a distinction for you. And so then he takes, right, then he takes 9,700 and says, those guys aren't going, these guys are going. Now it's 450 to one odds. And God says, now we can go to battle. Wow. Wow. How would you feel if you were Gideon? Again, most of us, well, Pat, I've read this. But we don't even step out on, this, on faith on the simple little things much less something that huge because I believe a lot of us were really afraid to trust God. Oh, we sing about it. We're in church and we gather here and when we're in here, man, we think my God can do anything. Oh, didn't we sing that? And we go out there and we go, well, not so much, just almost anything. And we begin to take things in our own hands and do things in our own hands. And 
God doesn't even bring us down to, from 32,000 down to 300. Do you know that's 99% of his army he lost? And here's what God, I believe, desires for us. He wants to strip us of self-reliance and teach us God-reliance. And so he brings those situations, he brings those things in our life to cause that. And then most of us, listen, most of us know the rest of the story, right? Gideon gets them, and, and, and uh, he, he's ready to go, and then God gives him one more sign. Did you notice? One more sign. Gideon go down, and he goes down to the camp, hears the guys talking, and they're like freaking out, right? The Midianites are going, <gasps> we're freaking out because of Gideon and what we hear he's gonna do. And then look at verse 15. We'll kind of wrap it up with this because I love it. Just the first part of verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped. Ah. Oh. One of the keys to finding the will of God in your life is to worship. To worship with a pure heart, to worship him and adore him and come to that place. I love that, man. He worshiped and then we know, right? He comes up with this thing, hey, he's got the jars and the torches and they do all that. And then here's what I love. Those guys didn't kill anybody. All they did was break some jars, light some torches, and God took care of everything. And then here's what I think all of them did. We won. No, you didn't win. God took care of it. But see, in our lives, if we come to the place where we get to that and understand it's not us, it's all about God. And I want to bring this a little bit into evangelism because I think in evangelism, a whole bunch of us say, I can't do it. Good. God can. You're not gonna save anybody. God is gonna save people. All you have to do, all you have to do is be a vessel and let God work through you and let God do the work. I love this. Here's the thing, and, and I don't know where I got this. This is a quote on, uh, on D.L. Moody. Listen to this. One time, a group of British pastors were discussing an evangelistic event, and most wanted D.L. Moody. So this is back in the day when D.L. Moody was the Billy Graham of the thing, or now we might say Greg Laurie. But listen, they wanted him for the event, and one man asked, I love this because this is the way some of us are. One man said, why must it be Moody? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? You know, there's those people, why do we want him? Who does he think he is and stuff? And, and then here's what I love. Listen to another pastor quietly answered and said, no, he doesn't. But it's evident that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. Oh. Don't you want that to be said about you? It's evident that the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing your life. It's evident you're not doing things intentionally. I don't think D.L. Moody went out and said, you guys, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and God's using me. No, God, D.L. Moody just did what God put in front of him. And that's where we need to be. So let's be those people. So from Barak to Gideon, here's what we learn. Faults, mess ups, scared, hard things to do, yes. But take a step of faith, trust God and he will do the work. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I, I thank you again for the challenge. We look at these, and I know most of us are very, very familiar with, at least with Gideon, maybe not with Barak so much, but Gideon. But God, I thank you that in this, there's that challenge for each one of us. That Lord, we wouldn't just be people who sing songs 
on Sunday morning or Saturday night or Thursday night, whenever we're together, and we just sing those songs and those lyrics, but God, those lyrics would be truths that are lived out in our lives every single day. Lord, I pray, I pray that we would understand you have placed us right here, right now, in this spot and in this generation to make a difference. All we gotta do is trust you. I believe that you want to do amazing things through every single one of us here. Things that we can't even dream of. All we gotta do is trust you. So Lord, have your way in our hearts and do that work only you can do. And I'm gonna ask you, again, stay in that attitude of prayer for another couple moments. And as we're talking about faith and steps of faith, if you are here today and you've never come to that place where you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to come into your life and to guide you and direct you, where you've never come to the place where you've recognized the fact that you have sinned against a holy God, you've offended a holy God, then today is the day to do that. That's bad news. Good news is Jesus Christ came and took the punishment you deserve. You have done things, said things, lived things that have offended a holy God. That's bad news. The wages of that is death, separation from God. The good news is Jesus Christ came and died on a cross, physically died on the cross in a sense spiritually and took your punishment upon himself. Now he offers that to you and all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I want that. So if that's you this morning, listen, man, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And as we say this prayer, you can say it out loud or you can say it silently. The biggest thing, you've gotta be sincere. This has to come from your heart. If you're backslidden, come home. Come back to Jesus. Man, say this prayer with us. There's nothing wrong too. There's nothing wrong with admitting you backslid. There's something wrong with staying backslid. There's nothing wrong with admitting and coming to Jesus and, and coming clean because Jesus has his arms outstretched for you. If you're watching online, no matter where you're at, you don't have to be in this building, you can say the prayer right where you're at and, and repeat this prayer and God will hear you and you will be saved. So again, you can say it out loud, you can say it silently, but it's gotta come from your heart. Jesus, today I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you here today for your forgiveness. And right now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior.